Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. As wall builders, we're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. And we're taking your questions on Thursdays normally, but we are going to read one of your questions today. But you can send those into radio at wallbuilders.com. I'm Rick Green here with David and Tim Barton. And, uh, and guys, we've got a lot of stuff coming up this summer. So before we get to our special guest for the day, Rabbi Daniel Lappin will be with us a little later. Uh, some cool stuff happening this summer. And one of the groups we don't typically talk about, we talk about pastors, young people, legislators, but teachers also got a special program and a training you guys are doing this summer. You've been doing it several years. Lots of great teachers have come through that training and talked uh, very highly about it, but we hadn't talked much about it on the program. So tell us what's going on. When is it this summer? Where will it be? Yeah, mostly we want to make sure that we uh, keep people apprised of the opportunities they have this summer, depending on uh, a kind of maybe different dynamics of where they might fit, but certainly uh, teachers. We want to make sure that we let people out there know who are teachers, and we talk so often uh, about the benefits of homeschooling. We certainly encourage homeschooling. We recognize the majority of the nation is still in public schools, and there are some really great teachers in public schools. Even though we recognize the fundamental flaws of the system, we recognize there's so many good people uh, that are teachers there, and as well as universities or private schools or Christian schools, parochial schools, and then, of course, homeschool parents and co-ops. There's an opportunity that we do every summer for educators to come and have more or less two and a half days in our, our facility, our museum. We go over to the American Journey Experience in Dallas, and for two and a half days, we do a, a deep dive into American history. And by deep dive, it's really a 30,000-foot view, but it's with artifacts. Uh, the deep dive is just in the sheer volume. It's not necessarily in the depth of a specific topic. We do an overview, but we look at things from an educational perspective. We see where education changed along the way. Uh, we will cover the way education was in early America and the philosophy of education and, and why when, when things were set up in different states, different states passed different laws. Why did they pass a law? What did it produce in that state? So we we do give a, a, a pretty in-depth perspective, but then we show where you had a, a philosophical and fundamental change in education in America with progressives taking over when you had individuals even like Rockefeller pouring millions upon millions of dollars in education saying we, we don't need better thinkers, we need better workers, we need better people that can take orders just to go do their job. And, and so there was a shift in what we did in education where we stopped promoting some of the depth of critical thinking and problem solving and and, and even getting away from some of the levels of not just a logic, but the rhetoric aspects, the mathematics. And, and you see that shift. And then we'll even encourage teachers with some of the opportunities that they now have in their classroom that because of Supreme Court decisions over the last couple of years, especially last year with the Coach Kennedy decision, the overturning of the Kurtzman v. Lemon decision, there's so many things they can do in the classroom in a public school setting that up to this point had been not legally recognized protected freedoms. Those are now protected. So, so these are things we want to make sure teachers know about. If you are a teacher or if you know a teacher, maybe you even want to help sponsor a teacher because teachers don't make the best salaries. It could be a challenge for them to come. We want them to be able to come be a part of what we do in the summer program. So they go to wallbuilders.com. Uh, they can look for the teachers conference. There's two programs we do. One, it, it, it's one week of the summer. We have so many programs. Nearly every week of the summer, we're doing different programs. But for this one week, a Monday through a Wednesday or a Thursday through a Saturday, they can come be a part of this program. And as I mentioned, we're doing things all throughout the summer. We do our our summer institute as well, which is for 18 to 25-year-old students. They can come be a part 
of a week-long program where we will do a deep dive into American history, but it starts with a, a apologetics, a biblical worldview to lay a foundation of truth. Truth doesn't exist. The founding fathers knew this. We go through the founding fathers' writings where they lay that foundation of biblical truth and morality. We go through original documents. We address things from the Constitution, from the Bill of Rights. We'll, we'll get into the founding fathers. We'll address things like the 1619 Project of Critical Race Theory. We'll go through guys like Christopher Columbus, people that are villainized today or lies that are being told today. We want young people to know what is the truth of that. What can they do? And then, of course, every summer, Wall Builders partners with Patriot Academy. And Rick, Patriot Academy is happening all summer long, all over the nation. And PatriotAcademy.com is the best place for people to go to find out more. And actually, it, it's a, a, a new name has been embraced. I, I keep calling it Patriot Academy, really, in the summer. It's a leadership congress now. So, Rick, I apologize. I have, have called it that for so I'm many years. I'm the same way, man. I'm the same way. I keep calling it. I mean, it's the flagship program, but we have so many different programs now. We had to come up with a name just for well, our capital program, and that's called Leadership Congress. And you're right, man. They're all summer. I, I feel like the summer is, is wiped out when I looked at the calendar uh, right now, but I, I did have a question on the on the teachers conference real quick. Is that um? Do you have to be a particular kind of teacher? Do you got to be a history teacher, or can any teacher come? And is it also for you know private school, public school? What are kind of the parameters there? That's a great question. So we we do have a limited space, and because of that, we do prioritize people generally that we feel like have some of the bigger reach, and so uh, or maybe have have more influence. So we've had people that were. Uh, public school superintendents, high school superintendents that came. We've had principals that have come. We've had college professors uh, that have come. Every summer we have people like this. We have, have Christian school principals and administrators that every summer we will have a part of these programs. Um, but we definitely at times will have a, a homeschool co-op uh, parent who's there and, and different people. So it, it's something that we don't try to limit who can hear this information. But because we have a limited capacity, uh, we do try to pick the people that we feel like will have the most influence um, and and then for everybody that doesn't make the list, we let them know about other programs we do throughout the year, like family seminars, where it's it's very similar content. It's just geared more toward families and parents, not toward teachers. But it's things that absolutely can be utilized by teachers in the classroom. So there's other opportunities for people if if our summer programs are already full, and I don't actually even know what the list looks like. Uh, I, I'm I'm we have staff that that goes over that list. It does the interview process. Um, my dad and I we just show up and we talk. So I, I I don't even know where that that list is, what that number is right now. But I do know that we try to prioritize so that there will be the greatest number of reach since we have a limited capacity in the room and in the space. Uh, but we definitely encourage anybody who's involved in education, whether it be a a I mean really I mean even you can be a Sunday school teacher. We, I don't care if you sign up. If there's room, if there's spots available, we're gonna, we're going to fill every single spot. It, it will be prioritized by the people maybe that have kind of that that genre or field. And so if there's a high school history teacher, if there's a high school government teacher, they're probably going to have a priority as opposed to a kindergarten teacher. Not that we don't love kindergarten teachers. They're amazing. They're important. But we're just going to prioritize the things that will make the most sense and be the most help. We've had literature teachers come before because certainly – uh, there's a lot of opportunity for literature teachers to be able to even go back to some of those original documents and utilize those. Uh, nonetheless, it, anybody can sign up if you're involved in education. And if you don't make the list, there are other opportunities. Uh, and, and and really, you can even apply again next summer, uh, maybe even apply earlier. But wallbuilders.com is the best place to go and find out more information. Wallbuilders.com, if you want to do the teachers conference, uh, the, uh, all kinds of other opportunities there as well this summer. And then patriotacademy.com, if you want to do one of the capital 
uh, leadership congresses. All right, guys, we had a, a question from David in Temple, Texas, and uh, it's it's a fairly involved question, and so that means it got a little too deep for the three of us, so we're bringing in Rabbi Daniel Lappin later. Uh, but, but here's the question first. We'll bat it around a little bit. He said he was uh, listening to the podcast and uh, has been listening to the podcast for a couple of years. He was reading in Nehemiah in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, where it appears to be describing a situation in which the common people are unable to hold on to their land. The land was accumulating in the hands of a few wealthy or influential people, uh, and that the reason given, he said, in verse 7 and 8, appears to be exorbitant taxes. He said, I would love to hear a more detailed explanation of how this land transfer took place. Today I hear about land being bought up by Bill Gates, by Chinese people and corporations, and probably others. Here's the question. Is today's situation similar to that in Nehemiah's time? Is today's land transfer a voluntary willing process, or are people losing their lands because of taxes, estate taxes, that sort of thing, a burdensome regulations, inability to compete with the big guys? What reforms, he asks, would need to take place to protect property ownership, which I understand is one of the three pillars of capitalism? I've heard you talk about property taxes, which I increasingly think of as immoral. Should those be phased out? And what else? So David, great, great question. And I love the fact, guys, that as he's reading through Nehemiah, he's thinking about these things, which is what we encourage everybody to do. Get saturated in God's Word, be in God's Word, and then think about how to apply it to the stuff going on in our neighborhoods and in our country. All right, David, I remember you telling me one time that when you started Wall Builders, or before you started Wall Builders, you just dove into Nehemiah. God said, go read Nehemiah. And I think you said you read it like the whole book every day for something like 30 days, and you found so much great information in there about how to handle politics and media and all those things. So I love getting this question about Nehemiah and tossing it to you. Well, actually, it was more than 30 days. It turned out to be six months. I felt like God said every day for six months. And after about six weeks, I was going, come on, God, I read it yesterday and the day before and the three weeks before that and the five weeks. But after, after about six weeks, I started seeing things I had never seen in Nehemiah. Things started coming together. Um, you, you started seeing why they did certain things, motivations behind it. And it was a real book that told you the story of how to restore and rebuild a nation that's been torn down. And so there's great guidance in there. And the private property aspect is one of the really important aspects. I mean, that was one of the inalienable right things the founding fathers built American government on. And when you start losing the ability to have private property, including your own home and your own land and et cetera, when government can take that from you, it's no longer an inalienable right. And so literally, Nehemiah deals with so much of what we have in America, um, certainly different time, different setting, but people don't change over time necessarily. The same motivations are there, the, the same good, the bad, the ugly is still there. So it, it's a great book for seeing a perspective, but it's also a great book to be able to get uh, ancient Jewish wisdom on, as Rabbi Lappin likes to call it. I mean, we go back and see why the Jews did what they were doing. So I can look at Nehemiah and say, yeah, here's the problems and here, here's what was going on. So Rabbi Lappin can also say, well, here's why they were doing that. Here's why it's a big deal because the, the 4,000 years of Jewish history before that. And, and so that's a great perspective to have. And so that's why we feel like Rabbi Lappin is so important on this. Stay with us, folks. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, our special guest. We'll be right back on Wobble. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation. 
about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to Wall Builders. Thanks for staying with us. Always great to have Rabbi Daniel Lappin with us. Great to have you back, sir. Appreciate the time today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to be with you, as you know. Whenever I have the chance, I'm happy. Well, whenever we get tough questions, we call you. So if it's, uh, you know, and it doesn't take, uh, it doesn't have to be that tough to, for it to be over my head. So uh, anyway, this is a really good one about reading in Nehemiah and just how property was you know, ended up in the hands of a handful of people and kind of looking at where we are culturally right now with all the buying up of land. And and David said, man, we got to get the rabbi on for this one. So uh, Rabbi Lappin, what do you think? Uh, what was going on in Nehemiah here in chapter four? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's not that different from what we see happening uh, in the United States and in other parts of the world at the present time, where um, very large tracts of land are being purchased by people who you wouldn't think have any need or any business. I mean, you know, what does a software titan need with 100,000 acres in Montana? But mm. a lot of that is happening. And, um, and yes, it's basically uh, scripture is is telling us something here, which is that when society has too many people with nothing to lose, too many people with no long-term stake, that is a harbinger of serious problems. You know, many years ago in the 60s, I think there was a, uh, a famous um, a blues song, Me and Mob, Bobby McGee, and one of the famous lines in that was, uh, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And that's where we are. And the truth is that you really do not want to be in a group of people with nothing to lose because yeah. there is no limit to what they will do. I want to live among people who are married and have families and have children and who own real estate and therefore have a long-term interest in the future. That's why it used to be, not just in the United States in the early days, but in a number of countries, um, that you couldn't vote if you didn't own land. And the idea was they wanted to make sure decisions were being made by people who had a long-term stake. And the goal was to have as many people as possible. As a matter of fact, America used to lead the way in people living in homes they owned. That didn't always used to be the case. In, in the United Kingdom, up until the middle of the 20th century, fewer than 20% of people lived in houses they owned. And in America during the 20th century, it climbed up to over 60% because there was an understanding in this country of that very section in Nehemiah that, yes, we do want to make sure that all of us, ordinary folks, do own our real estate, even if it's not a lot. 
but we own our we got a place of land that's ours and that makes us worry about the long term in a totally different way because yes we do have something to lose yeah I, it's almost hard for me to comprehend this um this trend towards not wanting to own your own piece of land, your own, like you said, something to lose, something that you can pass on to your kids, something that somewhere that, that you can yeah. you know, truly call your castle, you know? Uh, and Very much so. And, uh, and the tragedy is that once government uh, surrenders to the unholy impulse of adulterating the money with inflation, that basically signals people who have a lot of money to keep that money in land, not in the banks, because one of the results of inflation is it does help to make banks fold, as, as we can tell at the present time in the United States. And so uh, uh, the, the tendency of super wealthy people to buy up a whole lot of land more than they can ever use is contributed to by government immorality, because inflation regardless of anything, means only one thing, and that is government has been immoral because it is fun spending other people's money. And if you can only get that money by raising taxes and maybe finding that voters at the next election uh, punish you for raising taxes, that's not so much fun. So rather print money, and that way it's an invisible tax on everybody, but you get to spend money. That's one of the things that politicians just do. So when that happens, one of the side effects is that um, it becomes harder for ordinary folks to own land. You, you said something there that I got to go back to, that, that inflation is uh, happening because government is being immoral. It's, it's doing things it shouldn't, yes. shouldn't be doing. Yes. Zero in on that for me. Sure. Um, look, uh, Milton Friedman used to say it very, very clearly, but it's always been understood since uh, Adam Smith's monumental work on economics uh, that is exactly as old as the United States, published in 1776, called The Wealth of Nations. It's always been understood that inflation is not caused by Putin invading Ukraine. It's not caused by climate change. It's not caused by a, a mistaken figure for the M2 Federal Reserve figures. No, inflation is when government prints money that has not been backed either by gold or since 1971 when Richard Nixon got rid of the gold standard, uh, it has to be backed by wealth creation, by people actually doing things. And uh, for the best part of a century in Victorian England, the price of a pound of, uh, of wheat or a ton of coal never varied because there was no inflation because uh, the British Empire took the responsibility extremely seriously of looking after the money. Uh, but whenever there's been a United States government, or there have been since that time British governments uh, that are more interested in spending money they don't have, uh, because that's one of the ways you win elections, is you give people money, but you don't want to tax them, so you do it by invisibly taxing them. And that's what happens. Look, um, do you want to give you, give you an example that everyone will see right away? Go for it. Um, wake up tomorrow morning and find a duffel bag outside your door. You open it, million dollars inside. You're so excited about that. The first thing you do is you call David Barton and you say, hey, David, you won't believe. And he says, hey, Rick, before you even tell me, I've got to tell you something. I just found a million dollars outside. <laughs> you say you as well. And then you realize everybody got it. Well, anyway, you know, you, you, you really want to buy that uh, BMW Series 5, so you run over to the BMW dealership, and to your shock, there's a long line stretching down the block, like 200 people there. And there's a, a girl coming down the line with a clipboard. She says, what car do you want? 
You say, I want a BMW Series 5. She says, that'll be $250,000. You say, what? It's a $70,000 car. I, I want to buy... She says, 70000 yesterday, but right now, there's 100 people in this line who want that car, and they're willing to pay a whole lot more. We've only got six of them on the lot. We've got to auction them. That's all we have to do. So if you're not willing to pay a quarter of a million, even though yesterday it was 70000 then you're not even in the running. This is a little mini picture of how prices go up when the government gives out money. It's as simple as that. And that's exactly what happened over the last couple of years. We yeah. dumped trillions of dollars on the market, and we continue to do it. And uh, and and it's absolutely going to continue to to cut. But I had not connected the inflation that was created by that with the fact that this plays into the whole idea of people not owning their own property and owning their own land. Because with inflation, interest rates go up. It makes it harder for people to buy property. Much harder to get land. That's exactly yes. what's happened. That's precisely right. And people who are super wealthy. Um, go ahead and buy land anyway because it's a much safer place to put their large sums of money than in banks. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a danger. What a danger. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not a good thing. Not a good no, thing. No, it's not a good thing. And what, what would be the biblical answer to this in, in terms of how you prevent it and, and, and how we reverse course? First of all, honest currency. Yes. If a, if a government is meticulous about protecting the currency used by people in its administration, uh, then for then the natural market forces take place and uh, and and people you know which which by the way happened during the 1950s and 60s um, when uh, the number of Americans that owned their own houses just skyrocketed. But uh, honest weights and measures. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and, and governments that. Uh, that understand their responsibility and, uh, and, and are made up of, of people with real honor. So that's the main part of it. And obviously, in the land of Israel, there was the jubilee uh, uh, every 50 years and the return of land. But you don't even, you don't even need that. That was, you know, that was in the land of Israel. But people live all around the world, and that's fine. Uh, the, the land is always within the market range, provided the money is protected. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've got to we've got to get educated on on these things, the biblical economics. And by the way, that's something we really need to do in churches yeah. and synagogues, because you cannot rely on public schools to teach children about money. They won't. Yeah, amen, amen. What um, you, you, you've put out so many good things over the years. Which which study that you have would directly go to this economic issue of of inflation? Um, and I think you know most likely. I think the most important one is an online course I make available called the Prosperity Collection, yes. and um, uh, Financial Prosperity Collection, and it's at my website, rabbidaniellappin.com. All right, we're going to have links to that today, folks. Get educated, get equipped. Don't Just as the rabbi said, don't, don't expect the public schools to do this or the government to do this. This is our responsibility. Let's go get educated on this and teach it to our kids. Rabbi, thank you. God bless you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. All right, we're back with David and Tim Barton. Always good to have Rabbi Lappin on with us. And speaking of those... Well, not the summer programs, but our legislators' conference. Rabbi Lappin often comes and, and teaches at that particular wall builders program. But good to have him on the program. Um, all right, guys, what, what you know is this something that can be remedied in the American system right now? And what would be the big steps, like what the rabbi is talking about here? You know, he has some really important things. Honest currency is a lot of the problem here. Also, the stakeholder aspect of it. There's a lot of people who no longer have any stake in and in being interested in government. And so as you look at the loss of the family, the loss of the home, the loss of property, you have a complete transition to government. I love the fact that he pointed out that this is the result of inflation. When you have inflation, you can no longer have the same kind of property. Uh, you're not able to have property as you had before. 
And so he just looked back to, and, and I love this about Lappin. You know, you ask him a specific question, waiting for a specific answer, and he answers a question you didn't ask. But it's a question you should have asked if you'd understood what it was about. <laughs> and so, right. you know, we were that's asking right. him real simple about Nehemiah, and he says, well, Bill Gates, this, and 100,000 in Montana. And, and he instantly went into the exact parallel that's happening in America today with what was happening back then. And he put his finger on it, and, and it, it is it's economic policy, it's inflation, and inflation happening, and, and he just he just hits so many things that are part of it. So it, it goes back to people really do need to work to have private property. They really need to work to own their own homes. He pointed out Great Britain, 20% America, 60-70%. Uh, they need to have a family. They need to have children. They need to be stakeholders and have something at stake. And this goes back to the American founding. He was right. The, the American founders back at the time, you had to be a property owner to be able to vote. Because if you don't own property, you can tell everybody else what to do with their property. But if you own property, you have a different view of how to protect it and save it and guard it. If you don't have property, you're a socialist and say, I want your property. I'll use it for what I want. So people have criticized that saying, well, that was elitism. No, it wasn't. When you go back to states like Pennsylvania, colonies like Pennsylvania, they made it easy to own land. You could own land for a penny an acre. They wanted you to be a landholder. That It wasn't elite exclusive stuff. They wanted you to be a stakeholder in government. Well, and maybe just to clarify, there there might have been some places where it was elitism and they didn't want everybody to, but but this is where we so often talk about there's an overgeneralization when it comes to America right, right. that we say, well, nobody in America could own land if you weren't a white male. Well, that's not true. There were definitely places in America that you could own land and not be a white male, that you could be a woman and own land, you could be a black person and own land, but there, there definitely were places where there was elitism. There was places, there was racism, but that wasn't all of America, Dad, to your point, where there's so many examples we can point to that are contrary to the modern narrative, which is kind of the point. And, you know, as he was closing out, he said, look, it's, it's all about honest currency. And just a little heads up on, on stuff right now. In 23 states, they are moving through what's called the UCC, Uniform Commercial Code. Uh, a lot of this is spun out from an executive order that Biden did a while back that's moving us into digital currency. Digital currency is not honest currency. People think that's convenient. No, that's the government being able even to program currency. They move from digital currency to programmable currency. And the government then tells you what you can buy and when because your currency won't work except on certain days for certain items. So a lot of the states have already passed this just thinking it's like a building code. It's, we just need to get this to get all the state standard. No, this introduces something that has not even been introduced in the nation yet, and that's digital currency. This is laying the groundwork for it. Honest currency is super important. And let me just tell you right now, find out in your state, and, and you can go to profamily.com. You can find information on this. If this is going in your state, you need to step out against it now. This is a huge threat to your private property. Uh, but, man, thanks for the question, and thanks for the answer from, from Rabbi Lappin. And thanks to you for listening today. You've been listening to Wobble Lips.